0: This is something different today. Uh, he is a big-time writer, uh, written many a book on many a politician. New York Times broke the Ortiz story on his random survey test back in 2009, front page of the New York Times at uh, at the time. He's won many awards. He grew up in Nyack, New York, and as a little kid bouncing around Nyack, he was a Mike and a Dog fan, if you can imagine that. And he went to that reunion show at Radio City. He came up from Washington. To, he was in the process of making an unbelievable career move. Uh, well, not career move, but forging a career at, at the Times. And he came up from Washington at the um, Radio City to watch it. And here's our pal, Michael Schmidt. Michael, welcome. How are you today? Thanks so much for having me. It's great. This is uh, fascinating. You uh, who turns goes to Lafayette. Uh, uh, what was your major in Lafayette? International Affairs. International Affairs. Uh, Niac. you're a huge sports fan. You end up at the New York Times, the most important paper in the world. Well, we can talk about the develop where it is right now but it has been forever and you are a sports junkie who loves who loves Mike and
1: Meadow that's very odd i started answering the phones on the foreign desk and in august or september of 2005 the day editor from sports comes down and he says he needs someone to go to yankee stadium that night they needed someone to do steinbrenner duty so they sent me to the game And I sat in the press box until the eighth inning. And then I went down with the the tabloid writers. We stood at a, a door, a gate, and we got Steinbrenner coming out at the end of the game because we had to play defense to make sure if Steinbrenner said anything and if it was the back page, we'd have it in our story. Correct. That's how my career started.
0: Wow, yeah, because everybody had to follow George because a little bit like Jerry Jones, he'd come out after a tough loss and he might blurt something and if you're sitting there, you know, going through your English, writing a story and the post in the news and Newsday has it on the back page, Steinbrenner blows off the manager, you're dead. So you run on Steinbrenner duty. That was your first, that's not your first big assignment for the New York Times. I
1: mean, I was answering the phones, and then I, I was doing low-end crime stuff for the Metro section, and I started on Steinbrenner, dude. That's how I started. So I started going to the games, and I run the quote back up to Tyler Kepner, who was writing the story.
0: Now, how do you go from following George around and his bluster to uh, I know that you would get into the Manfred thing and the and Ortiz, to writing some of the things you're writing now, winning all these awards, covering foreign policy, doing this big deal on John Ford. Is that his name? Jack Kelly.
1: Uh, uh, John Kelly. Jack
0: John Kelly with the Trump administration and North Korea, which we'll get to, part of your new paperback book, 12,000-word essay that came out 10 days ago. How do you go from finding and following George to that in a 10, 12-year period?
1: So it was really all about steroids. So what happens is is that they start sending me out to—, to Different games and stuff to like help the writers get quotes, do those types of things, write stories that go inside the sports section. And I do this for about a year. I'm going to Jets practice. You know, the Mets were in we were in the playoffs. I'm writing the stories that are placeholders in the in the paper for the game story that would come in later. Um, I was in left field when Andy in the press box in left field when Andy Chavez makes the catch. why you really? Yeah, I oh lost my mind. God! I,
0: I r- mean, no, we hit the ball, don't you?
1: What? You know, hit. The no, it's bo- a roll and hit yeah, the yeah, ball. Scott, roll and Scott, hit the oh, hit the there we go. Yes. at the ball. Um, so, what happens is they say, look, um, if you want to be a sports reporter at the New York Times, we need someone to cover all this off the field stuff because balco's happening. All this stuff is blowing up off the field. And they're like, we got a thousand guys who can write game stories. And like, you're not going to be the best one at that. We can find those guys anywhere. We can go to the small papers and find them. But we don't have anyone that'll cover this stuff. So if you can cover drugs and be a legal investigative reporter off the field, we'll give you a job. So I spend the next year trying to figure out how to do that. And there's this whole thing with the Times, and because I wasn't in the union for, for that year, I had to sit in a dark apartment on the Upper East Side. So I'm sitting in a dark apart, apartment on the Upper East Side, trying to figure out whether Barry Bonds is going to get indicted and covering the whole thing, and trying to figure out how to cover The Mitchell, Mitchell investigation is going on. All this stuff is blowing up in baseball, and I'm trying to figure out how to cover off-the-field legal issues in drugs and sports.
0: Wow. And that led to what you're doing today indirectly? So- In December of
1: 2007, they finally say, "Okay, we'll make you a staff reporter. And two weeks later, the Mitchell report comes out and we're just off to the races because you had Bonds, who was indicted in November. I'm on the phone with his lawyer, Mike Raines at times, and Bonds just gets indicted. He says, Mike, hold on a second. Barry, you've been indicted. Mike, I got to go. Click. So. The end of 07 is a crazy time in sort of the drugs investigative world of sports. Mitchell report happens. And then what happens is Roger Clemens. So Clemens and McNamee are going at it. And we just dive right into that story. And that becomes a huge running story. And basically, I'm off and running. And I cover off-the-field drugs and sports until to the end of 2010.
0: Unbelievable. Now, I, I know you're never going to tell me. That was a huge—was that the first time you were ever on a front page when you broke the random survey deal with Ortiz? I had gotten
1: on in the end of 06, because I was helping, working with other writers. And, like, we did a story on—the base. Uh, the Yankees and the, the Mets were both going to the playoffs, so we did a story on— Tory and and Willie Randolph both being from New York in the state of baseball in New York City like a classic sort of New York And that, Times got, story. And that got That to was the front page. first story. And then in 07 I get a big break in the summer of 07. So I'm trying to make it. I'm trying to get them to make me a staff reporter. And the summer of 07 Michael Vick happens. And my parents had moved to Richmond, Virginia. And it's all going down in Richmond, Virginia and they like, "Well, we can save on hotels. You stay at home. We'll send you to Richmond. So I covered all the Michael Vick stuff in the summer of 07, and I didn't screw that up, and I was on—I did an okay job. So I think at that point, they felt okay with me.
0: Unbelievable. Now, uh, international relations at Lafayette, I mean, you know, most of these Times guys, don't they come? I'm not knocking Lafayette. No, no, don't no. they come out of Yale and Harvard and Princeton and places like that?
1: The thing about a newspaper is, is that if you have— new information it cuts through everything it cuts through everything all the you know and i think i knew that my path there was to be able to break stories and to bring new stuff what do i do for a living i go find out things that are interesting that are not public i build a device called a a newspaper story and we move it into the public and if i can do that then
0: you know you can you can you can do it how long were you working on the ortiz deal that's a tremendous story you have. Well, they, so the, they have denied it, and they went to the the next day. They had the big press conference, and they said it wasn't true. Nobody ever sued you, so you hit that right on the, no, right or, on the, the nail. The, the Ortiz that.
1: admits that it, that he tested positive. They just have a story about why it, why it was. Yeah, they but they don't contest was, the fact that he oh, tested okay, positive. They
0: don't. Dete- they, they thought it was a defective. Well, test. they Is say.
1: That- well, they try and throw. You know different sort of sand in the gears of the story but at the end of the day he tested positive Ortiz said he was going to go out and find out what he tested positive for he still hasn't done that he said when he tested positive he <laughs> sits at the press conference in Yankee Stadium says I'm going to go find that out I'm still waiting him and Manfred haven't figured it out yet but the so what happens in 09 actually the reason that so in 09 I report that Ortiz And Manny had tested positive. They're in the same story together. And a a month or two earlier, I had reported that Sosa had tested positive in the same stuff in 2003. The reason that those things happen is because I'm on this beat of drugs and sports and I'm doing an okay job. And then the beginning of 09 comes around and Selena writes the story about A-Rod. And that A-Rod tested positive in 2003. And that was the biggest story story and off the field like in my world not that's selena like roberts yeah right. from in sports Illustrated, writes that a rod had tested right. right. that was a huge That was like like the worst day of my you know that was a brutal day why it's like getting hard, blown out like oh they had the story yeah and you. it's like you're losing you're getting blown like and i said on that day i said we got to go figure out how to get these other names and that, and that sets me on the journey, and it took a lot of months and a lot of time, but that was February of 09, and then the first story was in May, and then I think the second one's in July or August. All
0: right, so when you broke the Ortiz story, you did not say that, he he did not, he I, was, I don't remember that now, so he did not deny that he tested positive for a banned substance. Correct. He... What
1: what was his explanation? He didn't really have one. He's like, I didn't use drugs. You know, I know that they told me I tested positive. I'm going to go find out what I tested positive for. Him and Mike Wiener had a press conference up at Yankee Stadium because I think the Red Sox were in town. And they never, we've, you know, we've never heard from them on that. Did you have
0: to have four or five collaborative. it had sources to, on it how it, many how many sources they so have the, to have see, this to is break a, a story like get. that on the times front
1: page you have to have it right so it depends if it's a different it depends on where the information is coming from if, whether if, you if, like, if the
0: source is that good you don't have to have 20 sources correct,
1: correct correct if you have good sources then you don't need five of them if you have three of them or if you have two of them um so it, it's not about give me the numbers. It's give me the facts.
0: All right, so the Times, before they print that story, do they do all their vetting themselves and make sure it's right so they can back you up or they trust you? Well, it it's a huge deal story. because
1: the union was going out. So the union knew that I was reporting on this stuff and trying to figure it out. And they wrote a letter even before the story came out to the judge overseeing all the Balco stuff. And, she said, and they, the union said, put that reporter on the stand and ask him who his sources are. Because they didn't like the fact that we were out doing this reporting because the information was all under seal. It had all been taken by the Correct. feds it's post- and the feds had it. Right. And and it was under seal, which is like sort of a, a – a, it's like saying it's classified. It's protected by the law. It's not supposed to be public. And they were trying to stop me from going out and getting that information. And what did the judge say when the union the judge, the judge didn't put me on the stand under oath and ask me. I mean, but it was scary because like – You know, you think you're big, bad and tough. And then all of a sudden there's a possibility that a judge is going to put you on the stand and ask you where you got this information from. And I knew I wasn't going to answer the question. But if you don't answer the question, you're going going to jail jail. and you think you're tough. But then when you really have to confront the possibility, it's a little scary. But the judge protected the The judge didn't do it. She didn't do it. Wow. So the union was that upset. Oh, they they wanted the Justice Department. And then after the stories, they went even crazier. The, the, that, but MLB didn't do that. It was the union. Well, the union had more skin in the game. Yeah, because it's Ortiz. is a big star. Correct. But the union and baseball were in it together, I think, more than people ever think they were. But this was really a union problem. Uh,
0: your relationship with the commissioner, it's gone back a long way. Uh, he wasn't the commissioner then when this story broke. But you know a lot about Manfred. Do you like him? Give me a little rundown. What do you think? So
1: I've covered like five people in my life, right? Donald Trump... John Kelly who was Trump's chief of staff, Don McGahn who was Trump's White House counsel, Jim Comey who was the FBI director. These are the people I know the best and I've covered them covered the most and Rob Manfred. He's
0: on that level. So he,
1: because, with those four guys, wow. Because Manfred is the guy who's in charge of drugs at baseball when I roll in in 2006. And they had a real problem on their hands because they had Congress which wanted to crack down. Oh, on Congress them. was the, terrified uh, of Congress. Jose
0: Canseco. I mean, that all, book got it all started. That's two
1: thousand five. Manfred and Seelig get killed that same day when they testify. There's all the pressure. It's that pressure that leads to the appointment of George Mitchell to do the Mitchell, Absolutely the is. Mitchell report. Absolutely. Yes, and is. Manfred's the guy who's in charge of this issue. And this issue is like an is a potential existential threat to Seelig. And potentially, who knows who knows what Congress would do to the sport? They were terrified of Congress. And Manfred was the guy who was managing the issue. So I have never dealt with sort of a more able combatant in the, in what I do than Manfred. So you like like him. It's
0: not,
1: it's not a like or dislike it. It is a, he is a battler and a fighter and a brawler in ways that I've never seen. Like when we had to deal with the worst stuff in the Trump administration, I'm thinking, well, if I could deal with Manfred, I can deal with this stuff. Wow. Really? great, Great. Incredible. Incredible. Tactician. Really. The, it, like like is as good as they come. You talk about labor
0: negotiation and all it's those things. It's the combination
1: as well. of like being a lawyer and dealing with the press and protecting your client. And in terms of the combativeness, the smarts, the quickness, you know, and the willingness to take the gloves off. He was I mean him and I used to we'd really really go at it. It was really bad.
0: I what's your relationship with him now? I talk to him now. I talk to him still. I mean, do you have a good... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's friendly. It's much it bygones friendly. Because, is point, it bygones Be bygones? Yeah, yeah. At one
1: point, we didn't talk for six months because I wrote a story that like he was furious about. But then we, you know, we, we I think we both realized that, you know, after a while, we looked down at our hands and we'd beaten the heck out of each other and we're like, all right, like this
0: is so not... So you're this. telling me out of all the people that you have dealt with, if this includes Washington, that one of the toughest... S.O.B's yeah. from a tactical standpoint yeah. and a street smart standpoint and a negotiation standpoint if not the but one of the toughest guys you've ever dealt with is the commissioner probably
1: yeah he's he's a he's a real um he knows the facts and he knows the law and he knows how to protect his client he's a true sort of like he's a mercenary at the at the the highest levels i mean he will do what he needs to do to protect you know who he's working for and I think he's the kind of guy who would have risen to this position if when because he starts at this law firm um, when he's coming up. And I think he would have risen this position if he had been working for a different you know client. He's just someone who's very good at that part of the job and what he does. And people don't understand that because they see the public facing part of it. But he's the guy that keeps the sport on the tracks from from. Keeping the Justice Department and Congress away from it at a very tenuous time.
0: Wow. now, did you read Devon Nata's story about him in ESPN over the summer?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the thing that that that, that that's like this whole thing was this the whole thing about how he's a baseball fan or? Yeah, you know, he, fan? yeah, he gets annoyed. It's, by it's, that. R- it's ridiculous. I mean, what Manfred should say is that I've worked in baseball for longer than everyone, but like Sandy Alderson and some tobacco spitting, you know, scout. There's been like. 10,000 players have come through the league in the 30 years that I've been here. You know, there's been 40 different owners. There's been 400 different umpires. I'm still here. I've gotten beaten up over this thing more than anyone else. People question my, you know, love for baseball. I've worked in this sport longer than anyone. I've been here longer than anyone else has. And I've taken more crap than anyone else has. So you're going to say, I don't like love this thing. I've done more, more than anyone else has. He's wow. been a long. He's been around
0: longer. I mean, well, there's a few guys that have been around that long, but not a lot. But a lot of people look at Manfred as the lawyer type, who is more wrapped up in that aspect, as you said, keeping Congress at bay, than he is as a baseball fan who wants to roll up his sleeves, eat a hot dog, and go to a ball game. I
1: mean, I mean, you had
0: a lot of that in Selig. Yeah, Selig has that. Selig aspect has of it. that aspect, and Manford doesn't.
1: Correct. But Selig, you know, took took criticism for other things.
0: Right. See, see, Selig was a, but Selig was a tremendous maneuver. He Consensus. Was a poli- he Consensus. Was a, yeah, that's the key word. He kept but them on But he's a political animal, Totally, Selig. totally. Is Rob a
1: political animal too? Yeah, but a different style. You know, Selig will come and put his arm around you and, and you know, cajole the owners to the place that they need to get to. And Rob would do what? Rob would, Rob would be more, uh, would push you there you there he's gotten more he has gotten more charming and I think better at that over the years
0: but you know so you, you, you can understand then five years ago seven years ago why there was no contest between Union and Rob as far as that labor deal that pissed off the players so much back five or six years ago because he's so good, so smart, and with Halem there, he I sort of Wiener, over. I think Wiener was gone at that point. Yeah, I was. This is Wiener's gone. That's more about Wiener being gone than anything. Oh, it is. Yeah, Wiener was gone.
1: Wiener was gone. That's more about Wiener being gone than anything. Because so, they don't really want a weak union. It, it's too complicated when there's a weak union. They want someone that they can actually negotiate with, and they weren't sure who they were negotiating with this last time around.
0: Yeah, it could be. They uh, thought
1: they were negotiating with Boris. They're convinced Boris. They're yeah, they are convinced. They're, they're con- convinced they're negotiating with Boris the whole time. Oh,
0: well, Scherzer,
1: he's yeah. a Boris they client. Were convinced Scherzer, making, they were, Scherzer
0: making calls you, to Boris when, when they, he's in a, they negotiating. They think they one.
1: can't make a deal. That's when they, they it's it's not good. That's why you had, the I think, the problem that you did, is they weren't sure who they were talking to
0: you covered Trump now in this John Kelly scenario there. Interesting story about North Korea, part of your new paperback scenario that just came out 10 days ago. The audience will find this interesting. We'll try to make it as apolitical as we can. But this relationship that Trump had with Korea and how Kelly got involved in it is absolutely fascinating. Now that we have established Michael Schmidt's credentials across America, Chris, Michael Schmidt, what? we've established that this is a big time guy now I want you to explain the Trump thing with North Korea so I wrote this
1: book that came out two years ago it's called Donald Trump versus the United States it was about all of the efforts that people had to try and you know that ran up against Trump and such the investigations and for the paperback I did something different I wrote a 12,000 word biography Of John Kelly He's a four star marine general Who became Trump's chief of staff In the middle of 2017 He's the highest ranking American military officer To lose a child on the battlefield In the post 9-11 wars Lost a child who died uh, As a marine in Afghanistan And he came in He was Trump's uh, secretary of the Department of Homeland Security For the six, first six months Comes in as Trump's chief of staff Six months in, and it's utter chaos. And Kelly is as you know uh, formidable and authoritative a figure as there could be. And he thinks that he needs to bring order to the White House, and that Trump needs to be staffed better. But the problems Kelly realizes are far greater than that. The problems are more um, about the president. And no issue crystallized more for Kelly this than North Korea, because you remember. Trump's saying fire and fury, little rocket man, my button is bigger than yours about North Korea. And Kelly, being a student of war, was terrified that Trump was going to set off war with North Korea because the North Koreans were going to look at Trump's rhetoric and say, oh, man, he really is going to attack us. We need to do something to defend ourselves. And if they launch your missile, then we have to shoot it down. And all of a sudden we're in a shooting war with North Korea. And who knows how that spins out of control? So what Kelly does is he tries to appeal to Trump. He says, "Look, hundreds of thousands of people are going to die." Trump doesn't doesn't get through to Trump on that. He says, uh, "You're going to destroy the economy." Doesn't get through to Trump on that. Kelly says to Trump, "You're the deal maker. No one else, all the way back to Eisenhower, has been able to engage directly with the North Koreans and make a deal. And you can do that. And Kelly knows that if Trump does that, it's not going to lead to a denuclearized North Korea, but it's going to ratchet back the." the rhetoric and language because if you followed the trump administration you go from fire and fury and little rocket man to these love letters between trump and kim well how did you get there how did you get to trump standing in the demilitarized zone
0: with an arm around
1: him. With, with his arm around him because kelly sold him on the idea that he could make a deal trump never obviously never makes a deal but the rhetoric changed and the rhetoric stopped and kelly who studied war all the way back to the beginning of time knew that missed signals were things that sent Set off major conflicts, that major world wars were started based on on things in which people didn't weren't able to read the other side. So he's trying to move Trump off of that, and he was able to.
0: So Kelly was smart enough to know the Trump ego, and appealed to a different side of Trump for the betterment of the country. Correct,
1: correct, to try and avert avert war cuz he's cuz Kelly's looking at all the problems. Now if you're if you know if you're following the media in 2017, you may not see North Korea as the biggest thing. There are all these questions about Russia, the Mueller investigation, all these things, but Kelly saw that as the biggest problem. Because Kelly yes, he's understood a nut case.
0: he's a nutcase in North Korea who's got uh, he's got his own elite to appeal to and he's got to show he's tough. So if Trump gets tough, he's got to get tough too and tough plus tough might equal disaster.
1: Kelly says at one point we've got two guys here who can't come out of this looking weak when he's talking about Kim and talking about Trump, when Kelly was talking to his aides. We have to make these guys think that they look good in this whole thing. That's what it's about. And if either of these guys think that they look weak, then we're in a much more vulnerable position. So how do we make them look strong?
0: And he succeeded by putting together that two-day deal out there in the Philippines? Well, they met, they met three times
1: because they went to the DMZ together, they, the, the meeting in the Philippines. I think there was another meeting. I think there are actually three meetings.
0: So he appealed to Trump. Why don't you worry about being the only president we've ever had who can work out a deal with North Korea instead of being the only president that we've had who starts a nuclear war? Correct. And it worked it did it, it no it didn't work didn't result in a deal it doesn't result in a deal but the goal was to stop the
1: rhetoric because we were in such a vulnerable position because i think it's scarier when you're standing there in the oval office and you're kelly and you have a president of the united states who you're not sure and you don't trust will will do the right thing to avert a war you need to try and and neutralize that as much as possible.
0: Kelly gave you this
1: information and you dug it out doing your I research? dug, uh, this was all my, I had to do all my interviews on background.
0: Did you talk to Kelly yourself?
1: I say in the book that I did all my
0: interviews on background. What does that mean? Kelly hasn't talked publicly. Oh, I he mean, hasn't talked publicly. Kelly hasn't talked publicly. Kelly
1: did but his- But he hasn't
0: denied it. I, mean, I haven't heard him say no, this. is not true. No, sure. no. And this came out 10 days ago? Correct. Has Trump responded?
1: No, he's too, he's got other problems. It's a much bigger problem.
0: Why didn't anybody in the Trump staff see this as an issue that we have to get solved and Kelly came in out of nowhere and was able to get it solved and nobody else I did. don't think we,
1: us, anyone realized what a vacuum there was around Trump that, and how little was actually going on. Like Kelly's biggest issue with Trump was getting through the day. Like, they couldn't, like, Trump comes down at 11 o'clock in the morning after watching cable news, you know, taking in several hours of cable news and talking to his friends, and the rest of the day is dominated by what Trump was irritated about, what he saw on cable news.
0: So, he sees the cable news, Fox, whatever it might be. Watching
1: Morning it. Joe. He's watching Joe Scarborough. And he's
0: all wrapped up on that, and so between 11 and 6 o'clock, we got to put out these hoops. fires all day He's just trying to get through long? the day.
1: They're just trying to get through, and I didn't realize that, that it was like, like— you wanted to meet with Obama, you could get on the schedule for like six months. They're like managing it down to the five minutes, you know, kind of thing. I mean, there was like very much. And Madonna,
0: Obama was very difficult for the press to deal with because he was aloof and did his own thing. So if you were a guy who covered Obama or the White House, you'd got, you got very little access. Isn't that well, at one
1: Well, at one point, I was going over to see Trump in 2017, and I was talking to someone at the White House, and they're like, well, why don't you come over on Tuesday? And I'm like, sure. I'm like, but, you know, the reporter I'm coming with has a conflict, you know maybe the, at one what about and she's like oh just just come at two like as if like you know like hey do you want to you know get a beer later you want to do it at four i oh, don't know let's do it at five it's the president of the united states the schedule is like wide open not the case with obama not at all
0: very six months in advance to get six five, months in advance to get to get correct
1: i mean it's like a totally different even thing even in new york times yeah, they did, they didn't need us they don't need to talk to us
0: but the New York Times has credibility that no other Wall Street Journal maybe that doesn't have doesn't from a political standpoint with Washington doesn't the New York Times have more pull than any other media outlet
1: I think so but like what do you mean by pull like what does that get you that I mean, do people return Ti- your
0: calls that that's what it gets you that when the New York Times calls I'm picking up the phone and I'm returning it that kind of thing Sure. But some people run.
1: Some people don't. They they get scared and, and they say, oh, I don't want to talk to them. Or they get angry. It it, it, it can cut both ways. It can open doors, but it can also shut doors. Because if you show up at someone's house in the middle of nowhere and you really need their help and you say, I'm from The New York Times. There's, there's
0: but the New York Daily News can't make those kind of phone calls. They're not going to care about the New York Daily News, but they're going to respond. See, that's power. The the question really is more about power than anything else. You can make them scared or you can make them pick up the phone. How many outlets in the world can do that? CNN? I don't even know.
1: You tell me. But as a reporter, I don't want to fall back on that because I don't want because I want to be out there working as hard as I can to get as many people on the phone as possible. And I don't want to be relying on that. I want to be relying on the fact that I'm going out and I'm building relationships and I'm right. getting to know people. Right.
0: How long does it take a reporter of your ilk to build the kind of relationship that you need to build inside the White House to write a 12,000-word profile on John Kelly? It takes a long time. It takes longer than people think. A couple of years? No, months,
1: months and months. But you have to be consistent with people. You have to be open with them. You have to be transparent. You have to show them I that mean, you're can listening. you pick
0: up the phone right now? And get a hold of unbelievable, well, now or then, and get a hold of people who are very close to the president? The current one or the former one? Former first.
1: Trump's world is not a hard world to penetrate. If you haven't, you know, if you could tell by all the stories that came out over the past few years, Trump's world is not a hard world to how about to Biden's world? Biden's world is a harder world to penetrate. It, it's a much more disciplined world. And it's a smaller world. Trump's on the phone talking to a lot of people during the day. He's talking to his friends. He's talking to people he knows in business. He's talking to member and people on Capitol Hill. World
0: gets you know, and you know the it's different. It's different. So Biden, if you want to get hold of somebody important or close to Biden, much more difficult. Can you have? Do you have the ability to do that right it's much now? Much more difficult. That's all I'll say. It's much. No, I want, no you're on a radio show now. give me more difficult. It's difficult. It's
1: it's it's a harder world to penetrate, but. It's not impossible. This is someone who's been around Washington a long time and Biden knows a lot of people and is not, is not like, you know, antisocial. I mean, he's, he's out and around and talks to people, but he's, but it's a completely different thing that uh, Trump was unlike anything we had seen before. Uh, when you- I, I interviewed Trump at his golf club in uh, Florida, I, you know, his friend took me to lunch and brought me over to the table and I sat with Trump for a half an hour in 2017, just the president and I just talking. Like that would he not was a happen. president
0: for the one year, right? That doesn't happen today. That
1: doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. He showed me that the club championships he won. Oh, I
0: mean, he loves that. I wonder if he yeah. cheated, but we'll get to that another time. We continue, Michael Schmidt, New York Times. Now you covered the Obama administration and covered him on on Air Force One and covered him in Christmas vacations in Hawaii. So how many? How many? How many writers are on that? Fifteen. With
1: The the small group travels with the president. It's probably less than 10.
0: Oh, less than 10. And you
1: did it for two years. Yeah, I did at least two. I have to go back and see if I did it two or three times. But um, I wrote the most important story of... Let me explain why I ended up there. Being single and Jewish, you were a good candidate in the Washington Bureau of the New York Times to cover Obama's Christmas vacation in Hawaii. So I would be sent out to Hawaii to cover his Christmas vacation and basically sit there to write in case anything major happened. And as part of that, you'd be part of the pool and you'd travel. You know, as he was going around the island, you'd be in the motorcade and go with him. And... I flew out there once with him and back and back once or twice with him and that. And then I did a bunch of domestic trips with him because it was the end of the Obama administration. We needed folks to staff these things. And like, you know, it's, you know, it's a daily newspaper. You got to find people to go do Steinbrenner duty. It's like you know the glorified. So when you of go follow,
0: when you go follow Obama and Christmas in, in in Hawaii, does he give you? A, does he talk to you every day for five minutes? No, or not at all.
1: Not at all. You're like you're like in a van sitting outside of a gym while he's working out in the morning, and then you're like you know car- you know it's 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 not glorified at all.
0: You're part of the traveling press pool. He doesn't come in the back of the plane and say, hello to you on Air Force One." I mean, he would do
1: he would do that. He would do that. He'd come back and you know sh- you know say hello, but. You know, it's not, it's, you know, we're there to sort of be there just in case something happens.
0: Uh, you were there on many press conferences. Did he raise, when you raise your hand, did he say, Michael, you're next? Is that true? Did N- that happen? No. He's, I mean, I've shook his hand and stuff, but these,
1: you know, he, he had a far uh, less of an attraction to the press than Trump did. Yeah, absolutely. But I wrote the most important story of, Trump's, of uh, Obama's presidency. Which is what? When I was in Hawaii, I wrote a feature about how he finally got good at golf. That he had finally gotten good after all these years. And I talked to all these people. We had to talk to him on background. They wouldn't talk on the record because they didn't want to talk about playing with Trump. And this golfer that played with him talked to me. said, you know, he used to get around the course like my uncle. You know, he was like a This a is mess. Obama now you're talking This about. is Obama. He was a mess. But he finally got good and he missed a putt for uh, 80 on his birthday. And, uh, so, and you had that story. Yeah, I wrote that story. Yeah.
0: Wow. Mr. Uh, did he, I'm um, sure he must've read it. Who's oh, not of course. About a yeah, stopgap? of course,
1: of course, of course.
0: Wow. So you on, how was
1: Air Force One, by the way? The food's amazing. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing.
0: It's not your normal 740. It is for the, uh, for, it's, for the riders. Is it a normal 747? It looks very different than any plane you've ever been on.
1: It's very different. I get on the first time and I'm not like a great flyer or, you know, person of heights. And I put my seatbelt on and the guy next to me says, if you need your seatbelt, we've got a lot bigger problems
0: meaning what like if,
1: if like if you need your seatbelt on air force one then like there's a lot bigger problems than whether i'm oh. bopping around a plane
0: oh i see what you're talking about
1: uh there's planes
0: flying right next to it all the time right yeah Phytojets?
1: i mean the, do the, you see them the thing about it is how quickly you can travel when you don't have to really go through the normal things people do when they're traveling
0: so you show up sure at the you show up sure at dallas what 10 minutes no before you, you fly from andrews air force base you fly
1: from Anchorage, So right. it's a whole different thing. Yeah, they're ten whole minutes. Different yeah, they thing. are ten you know, minutes. But if, for-
0: if you're at the press,
1: you gotta get I mean, you still have to like go there and go through security and do all those different things. But you know, you're not like sitting in the runway, you know, waiting for ten Southwest flights to take off before you. You go right away. Correct. And the food's good. The food's amazing. They
0: give you a menu before Absolutely you get on? Absolutely
1: amazing. And they'll and they'll do my favorite thing in the world, which is they'll like I can just drink Diet Coke and they'll continue to fill it up.
0: Is there is there stewards? Oh yeah, board?
1: there's like full service. In movies and everything else. Yeah, big seats.
0: Flatbeds? beds?
1: Not for. Fl- I don't think flatbeds, no. Now
0: I'm fascinated by Air Force One. I knew the. I knew the pilot for the. I knew the. The the one of the. It's either the pilot or the security guy is a big listener. I'm not going to tell you his name. And he used to text me all the time. I'll get you down here for a tour of Air Force One. And I never took him on, up on it.
1: It's it, on. It's on, it's like a, unlike anything. It's a. It's it's like. Not everything in life lives up to the billing. It lives up to the billing. Definitely does. Wow, okay. Definitely does.
0: Let's do, uh, we're going to do a little bit on this with the Times. Why has the Times gotten to a point where you almost know which side of the aisle they sit compared to what it was maybe in the old days where it played it straight down the middle? So you probably
1: would think that maybe looking at my Donald Trump coverage, maybe you would say I was too tough on Trump not you per se but, but maybe paper, you say the Times say. yeah do you know who broke the Hillary Clinton email story was that you I broke the Hillary Clinton email story do you yeah. know and that was you know I mean I still take it from the left on that so and we're you know we put the Hillary Clinton email story on the front page of the New York Times at the beginning of 2015
0: but the perceptions there that you are much more let's knock Trump and get him the hell out of the White House and much more lenient per se to Biden we don't see any huge stories in the Times.
1: Six thousand time. words three weeks ago on Hunter Biden.
0: Yeah, but it took you a long time to do that, though. Biden's been been written about in the New York. Times about for three years.
1: Times writes the first first stories about uh, Burisma and Hunter Biden back in twenty fifteen, even earlier than that.
0: So you don't buy in that. Time, na- you don't the, buy that
1: narrative. No, I don't. I, I And mean, look, in a polarized time, are people gonna? You know, are people gonna get caught up and accused and the political wind's gonna blow on things and people say oh you're leaning this way or you're leaning that way i mean the complaints from the left are just as much from the right
0: i don't sense that i know the complaints for the right is that you never gave trump a break not you per se but the newspaper how about that i think that Um, that Trump could have solved he could have you know he could have made the deal with North Korea he could have cured cancer if you really and you're never gonna he would because they hated him so much and he hated them that he never was gonna get a break
1: that he was never gonna get a break Um, is that true yes or no I don't think that's true I think that Donald Trump, if he, I think if Donald Trump was able to have accomplishments, we were going to cover them, If you know, when well, he had happened. to have some,
0: I don't know enough about it, but he had to have some accomplishments Yeah, and, and, and economy. I mean, you know, it, it, the border crisis. I mean, you've got to, we got to discuss that. He I had mean, huge,
1: huge tax stuff at the end of 2017, but Donald Trump created an enormous amount of the news around Donald Trump that Donald Trump didn't like. And he had a complete, you know, he was the one that controlled a lot of that.
0: But, but, but why is it, though, that sane people who are n- not into the agenda thing that I would pick, talk to say, you know, you can't trust the times they've gotten the other way. They always have a bent on things. And they would say the same thing with the New York Post, that there is nothing there that plays it straight down the middle. Why is that perception out there if it's not true? I think if you live in really polarized
1: times, people are going to see and feel what they want to feel when they look at your product. And like I can't every time that I write a Donald Trump story, like say, oh, I'm the person who wrote the Hillary Clinton email story and covered the story as much as anyone else did and took it more from the left than anyone else did. And, you know, worked on Hunter Biden stories and, and, and went after the story without fear or favor about whoever party it was. Um, I can come on and talk about it and do that. And I think it, it gets through to people and people understand. It's like I haven't voted since 2008. Like, I, I don't have a dog in this fight. I want to go out and cover you don't, the story. You,
0: you, do you not vote because you no, don't want to be labeled I got as no a Republican? Skin in the game.
1: I got no skin in the game. Wow. So you don't vote at all? I haven't voted since 2008. Hmm. So, you know, it's like... And that's, as soon as you
0: quit and did something else, you would vote again?
1: If I was not a journalist anymore?
0: Well, not a not a news journalist. You're a sports journalist. You I'd
1: would vote. Fig- I'm not sure what I would do at that point. But probably, I'd it would, But but that was it was when I was going to Washington. I said I was going to Washington in 2011, 2012. I said I'm not going to vote, and it helped me put distance between myself and the story.
0: That's fair. I can see
1: how that would do that. Um, and my mother said to me, she said, "Oh my gosh, how could you do that?" She says, "You know, it's the democracy. You have to participate in the democracy." And I said, "I think I participate in the democracy
0: every day going to work because you're covering democracy." Correct. All right. Now, I will. I will speak to this better than most. that son, that. The Times Sports Page is a absolute shell of what it used to be, and I read it every day. Eddie, tell him. I buy it everywhere I go. I don't love the columnists. They come with an, uh, you know, they. I'm not going to give you names. Oh, yeah. They come with. There's no Dave Anderson there. Forget Red Smith. There's no Harvey Ayres in there. There's not. There's no Ira Burkhall there. I, I don't want to pick up the Friday Times and read 20 pages on an Ethiopian runner in a sports page. Right? And they do that a lot. It's not the same sports department than it used to be. Thoughts with that? Go ahead.
1: I think that when the Times was a. N- Concentrated on New York stuff, and you're a local sports section. It's much easier to be a sports section because you have teams that you're covering on a day to day basis, and there's a rhythm to what you're doing. There's games. You're you know you're at the Yankee game, you're at the Met game, you're covering the Giants, you're doing those things, and I think that. In that sense, it's, it's easier to see what a section is. I think when you are trying to cover the world of sports on a day-to-day basis in a world in which you can get scores everywhere and you can get news everywhere and everything's on television, it's a pretty challenging thing. Like, what is the modern-day sports section, and how do you do that? So if you're picking up the paper, how do I get through to you when you already know the scores but and you're you are covering,
0: But you're covering events— that the sports fan, regardless of city, is not interested in. All right? I'm not interested in a rock climber who is in India. All right? That should not be in a sports page. You want to put that rock climber in the international section, go right ahead. I'm not reading the international section. When I read the sports page, I don't care about the rock. Today, you did a skiing thing. I'm sorry. Outside of the five people who follow skiing, anywhere. They don't care about the ski because, you know, Lindsey Vonn and all that nonsense. Who cares? All right. I'm a, if you write an article today on Kansas basketball, that's different because that's a sports story. Rock climbing, Ethiopian runners, world skiing outside of the Olympics. That's not shouldn't be in your sports page of this kind of newspaper.
1: I think that what the Times is trying to do is try to appeal to the non-hardcore sports fan in an appetizing way. And I get that that's challenging. I get that that's hard um but i I pick it up, and there's things that i that I find interesting and that I'll read and i
0: There are certain things that you get in there from a sports page that they cover things that you will not get anywhere else
1: I mean there's no one else I want to read on the u s open than the Times I agree and the tennis is no one else I, I want agree, to read on, but that's in an
0: international the, sport, but as far as your columnists are concerned, you don't have one columnist in there. Kept me with baseball a little bit, but you don't have one columnist in there. I say, ah, I got to read what this man has to say. I I have to read a Kirk Streeter. I'm not reading. Okay. There is not one columnist in there that I say to myself, ah, I'm interested on his analysis of Niners Cowboys. Who is at the game covering it.
1: And that's what the times do a lot. Do you think that the world of sports has a lot of great columnists today that you want to read? Not that much because they're not as much in newspapers. But like, because uh, the thing about sports coverage—it's right, changed. It's very, it's very, very difficult thing to figure out because how do you get through to people that know pretty much everything that they they want to
0: know before they pick up the section? How do you do that? And I think that's challenging. I think that's hard. So they they are trying to make sure that when they do their sports page every day, that the people who are reading it are not great sports fans? I'm not saying that. I'm saying that I think they want to have things that appeal to the
1: general interest reader. Who
0: in the world cares about what general interest person cares about an Ethiopian winner? There's nobody who cares about that. Not general interest. Might be five people somewhere who wrapped up in it. But generally speaking, that is not appealing to the average American. That's the problem. Now, I'll be fair to the Times, if I want to read something about an obit, David Crosby, front page, there isn't a newspaper in the world that can top that, in the world. I showed you something and I made sure I had Saturday with Crosby's 15 great songs. Those kinds of things, your newspaper, it's not close, best in the world, make you feel better. when (laughs) When the
1: Times writes an obituary and really does it, it's it's unlike anything else it really is it just and there's no other institution that does it you pick up the washington post or the wall street journal it's not even close in that sort of sense in the sense of history in the way of telling of a story it's it, it's one of the you know people pick it up to read that and it's it's a it's a huge strength and a huge thing
0: all uh, right what we what are you working on right now what well, little I'm, what little piece of kernel can you throw well, on there I mean right the now, the problem is, as far as
1: breaking news is concerned the problem that we've had is that there's been so much left over from Trump that we're still covering you know you have so many different investigations you got two federal investigations in Washington you got the investigation in Atlanta you had the January 6th investigation the whole committee that I mean all that stuff has taken up an enormous amount of bandwidth and there's just so many different parts of these things that have been spawned that, that they're looking at, and it takes you, up a lot
0: of time. would you would the Times be as aggressive and as formidable and as detailed about those same investigations if it was a democratic president?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the Times took an enormous amount of criticism for his coverage of Clinton for the coverage of Clinton and for for whitewater and for all of those things and and that was you know and that was as democratic a president as they come
0: because that was the knock we got to read about January 6th again. We get it. It was 15 months ago. And the Times are going to spend 30 pages on January 6th. That kind of thing.
1: I think that um, if there's a major event that disrupts the transfer of power in a democratic country, we're going to pour an enormous amount of time and attention into covering that, no matter how that happens or how that goes down. We're not going to look the other way on that.
0: You did a hell of a job here. I enjoyed every minute of it. <laughs>
1: The best. This is like, like I this, this
0: is a huge fan, this guy. No, if then,
1: I, I just want to go back. If I could go back on Mike and the Mad Dog, you know, like twenty years ago.
0: Well, we're doing this show Wednesday on first take. Believe you me, I know.
1: I, of course, I know. I know. Like you know, I've listened to the Pac-Man Jones, you know, thing like fifty times. I listened to the the thing about the Giants when you're screaming about, I'll give back my Marconis, you know, just for one, just for
0: one. I wouldn't now. Just for one. Then they won the three in
1: six years. All
0: I used to do is complain, and then they won three in six and years. I wasn't even there to enjoy. enjoy Enjoy it with the big guy. Mad Dog's Daily Bite is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.